You're listening to the Colts Blue Zone Podcast with Mike Chappell and Dave Griffiths. Inside the Fox 59 CBS4 Podcast Studio, welcome to another Colts Blue Zone Podcast. Alongside Mike Chappell and Joe Hopkins, I'm Dave Griffiths. Always glad to have all of you along for the ride. And sometimes it is a great ride. Sometimes it's a 12 to 9 ride in overtime and you still pull out the win. And you know what? That's fantastic. You get a win at the end of the day. And uh, we, we, we all told you last week to take the under if you were a betting man. Joe took the under. Everyone out there, I hope you all listened because uh, we, we knew it would happen. I know you guys both spoke at length about this uh, last Some, week. Sometimes we know what we're talking about. Every once in a while. Me more so than everyone else this year. To be fair, I can't argue. No, that, that so that was just pretty much just yeah, a. That's true. You picked the Colts to lose last week, and and uh, look what exactly happened. So just yeah. follow Dave, and yeah. that's what I'm talking about. <laughs> just just listen get. to what's going to happen. So who knows what Dave's going to say about Jacksonville? You have to stay to the end of the episode to see uh, my uh, my prediction that will obviously come true. But uh, we will uh, preview this Colts Jaguars game uh, set for Sunday afternoon here in Indianapolis. Injury updates. A very lengthy injury report for the Colts uh, on their Wednesday practice. But uh, some optimism now as it gets to Thursday. Maybe things looking a little bit better. We'll uh, break all that down. Keys to the game, predictions. But first, we start with the news around the team this week. We'll start with the good news, and that is Chase McLaughlin is the AFC Special Teams Player of the Week. Whenever you change a kicker midseason, it could be absolute epic disaster because there's a reason these guys chapper on the street. Well, and you were forced into the move. Exactly. You didn't say, hey, let's go get this guy to upgrade. No, you had to do it. No, a hot rod was was not viable anymore after what happened week one uh, against Houston. McLaughlin comes in, and just this last week in Denver, goes 4-4 four four on field goals, 52, 51, 48, 31 yards. So three that were not chip shots. The 48-yarder in overtime is the one that put them on top, and the defense shut the door at the end of the day. Not, not that kicking in Denver is particularly difficult because the air is a little bit thinner, but the, the thin air doesn't make it go straight, and he hit them straight. He hit them true. Hit four field goals. He's the AFC, AFC Special Teams Player of the Week. And, Chap, I think that you can't ask for more from a kicker that you get midseason than to have the ability to do this in a scenario. You're not expecting him to do this every week. You can't do that. He's not going to be Justin Tucker. But if he has the ability to come in and hit multiple 50-yard field goals, be in the category of even competing for an AFC Special Teams Player of the Week, this is what the Colts were hoping for when they got Chase McLaughlin, and he delivered. That's what we talked about during training camp with Hot Rod and Jake Verite, is you didn't know what Verite brought, but he brought a strong leg. And we always questioned how Frank Reich, as a play caller, handles things when you get around the 50-yard line. You know, how much, how aggressive are you? when you know that your kicker, you have no trust in your kicker with long field goals, or as opposed to when your kicker can, you know, uh, uh, chases 11 of 13 for his career. That's ridiculous mm-hmm. on 50 yards, but that maybe you're not quite as aggressive when, when you know your guy can do that. You don't want to rely on that. That's crazy. But knowing you've got it, and, and again, he's done, he, he's, he's done what they needed to do. And again, if, if Hot Rod had done his job early, then Chase wouldn't be here. And where would this team be? Well, we know where they'd be. They'd be at 3-2 and two if, if there's a 42-yard kit that goes through at Houston. I think, Joe, I felt pretty good watching McLaughlin line up from both 31 yards at the end of regulation and at 48 in overtime. Like, as I'm sitting watching this game, I got the feeling that, you know what, I think he's going to make these kicks. And that is not a feeling that I really had with Hot Rod. It, it would have been in either of those situations. 
So you could say that um, the Colts. I, I, I'm not going to go and say they they upgraded entirely. I, I still. I'm not going to say that Chase McLaughlin is, is the the answer, the end all, be all. Because, like I said, there was a reason that he was sitting on the sidelines for the start of the season. I don't want to jump to that conclusion. But at the same time, I think it, it just felt different to me that to watch a kicker go out and walk onto the field and feel good about his opportunity, his chances for making these kicks than it had in the past. Well, 250-plus yarders at the beginning of the that game helps. will do that to you. Exactly. Yeah. Um, no, it's it's quite amazing. And I, I got to say, not to pile on Hot Rod, I think everyone who listens to the show knows that I was really rooting for him. I was a big fan. I don't think the Colts would have won that game on Thursday if he was still the kicker. I, and I don't say that to be mean. I just say that looking at it like this might be – one of the moves, if this team ends up reaching the playoffs this year, that we look back on and go, boy, if they didn't bring in McLaughlin, this team wouldn't have gotten to where they wanted to go. So there's still a lot of season left, a lot of kicks for McLaughlin to make if he uh, wants to get another contract here somewhere else. But so far, so good. Chap, we juxtaposed this scenario with what happened a couple years ago with Vinatieri, and you can tell that his issues, his struggles that last year – cost a couple games. I'm not saying that bringing in somebody else definitely would have made these kicks, but in this scenario, a change in kicker making that bold move has already paid dividends, it appears, for the Colts. Yeah, and you you made a good point. Let's not say this, they're going to sign him to a three-year extension. No, not yet. Because, again, like whenever you sign guys once a season start, they're out there for a reason. He was at his Westfield home for a reason. So you're you're looking at sort of week to week, but he, he gives you what you didn't have. Uh, again, that was a long, a long distance threat, and there's no be- better, more pressure than at the end of a game and in overtime. If he misses either one, you know, if he, if he misses the regulation, there's no overtime. So, so far, so good. And again, I agree with you that there was just a different feeling when he was out there. Now, again, it was we've got such a small sample size, and the thing with with Outright is the larger sample size. Why we were uneasy. So so far so good, but let's let's not go crazy and, and wonder why they're not signing extensions. Let's just let this play out. It is played out to McLaughlin hitting eleven of his thirteen kicks, as you mentioned, though from fifty plus in, in early on in this career for him. So that, that's pretty darn good. Um, more special teams news for the Colts: wide receiver Ashton Doolin has been placed on injured reserve after uh, suffering a foot injury in Denver. Uh, the Colts have said they do expect him to return this season, but. You just keep chipping away at that special teams unit. You know, um, it's it's the punter that goes down. It's your your top gunner that goes down, and uh, it's it's already a special teams that I think has performed pretty well early this season. To be honest, uh, both obviously we've just been talking about McLaughlin. Uh, Matt Hawk has been uh, has has been perfectly fine at, at punter. Um, there's been nothing that he has done. It seems that has that has cost the team uh, significantly in any game. So, but, but, but chap, if you just keep chipping away at the guys who are steady at the guys who have been here for a long time, you're certainly relying on some of those younger guys to, um, and the more inexperienced guys to, to step up when, when their name is called, uh, and, and it, and it will be called upon, uh, with, with Doolin here, uh, going to be on the sidelines for a couple of weeks. Well, and this was a special teams already that lost players in the off season with, with George Odom and Matt Adams, Matt and, Adams and a couple yeah. other guys too. So, so, and that's why I, I always think that the special teams coach, when you've got a really, really good special teams group, he does. He, he's a magic man because maybe he doesn't know until Saturday night who he really has. You know, going into Denver, if 
if you don't know Jonathan Taylor's status, and maybe Deion Jackson doesn't play as much on special teams. So it, it's kind of like, well, you know, you, you were going to have this guy this game, but we need him more on offense or defense. So I think Bubba's done a great job. And like you say, when you have to replace your punter and your kicker, and you really haven't missed a beat other than the, the kick at Houston, right? Uh, which which they again they adjusted to very quickly. Uh, I think he's done a great job. Mm-hmm. Uh, Joe, special teams this year. I mean, you, you got to think it's pretty good, but this uh, certainly just I guess puts it under the microscope. I guess this weekend. Yeah, we haven't quite seen the flash plays that we saw at times last year with some block punts. You know, like the one at against Jacksonville in Indianapolis hey, last yeah. year. Maybe mm-hmm. maybe um, a little. Little foreshadowing there. there. We'll see. But um, the special teams unit has not been any sort of um, liability whatsoever. So Matt Hack has done a solid job for, for a Hawk. team that – Hawk. Hawk. Yeah, I keep Hawk. saying Hack. It's just how it's spelled. You look at it, it's like, yeah. Um, for a team that has a new punter and a new kicker that they both were brought in, like, within the first week or so the season starting – um, it's pretty amazing that they've been able to be so reliable thus far. The Colts have signed defensive tackle Chris Williams to the active roster from the practice squad to fill that spot left by Ashton Doolin going to injured reserve. He's been up and down the past couple of weeks uh, with uh, DeForest Buckner's injury just uh, coming up from the practice squad to the roster for game day ensuring that they have some bodies there on the defensive line just in case. And uh, the Colts also signed a, a tackle, Ty Neshecki, to the practice squad. 36-year-old, uh, has played in 93 career games. His last start came in Buffalo in 2019. So an experienced guy, but has never been a consistent starter in the league, trying to bring someone in for, I don't know. Uh, you, you signed a 36-year-old to the practice squad. That's all I can say. Is, I, I, I don't know. Yeah, I don't know where you were going to go with that. Yeah, they brought him in for, uh, I don't know. But but he's there, so he's it's actually a cool. new tackle. He is, yes, <laughs> yes. He's a new tackle, and, and there he is, and there he will stay. What does Hancock Health's membership in the Mayo Clinic Care Network mean for you? It means our independent health network now has access to the knowledge and resources of the world leader in medicine. It means your Hancock Health doctor can now consult with Mayo Clinic specialists to confirm a diagnosis or treatment plan, and it means that together we're making health possible for you. Learn more about our new clinical collaboration at HancockRegional.org front slash Mayo Clinic. The Colts take on the Jaguars Sunday afternoon, 1 o'clock kickoff at Lucas Oil Stadium, broadcast in central Indiana on CBS4. You can join us also on CBS4 for the Colts Blue Zone pregame show at 1130 Sunday morning. Who is going to play in that game? Who is not? We'll talk about the Colts injury report first. I've already mentioned Ashton Doolin's on injured reserve, so he will not play. Wednesday, there was a uh, laundry list of players on this Colts injury report. And uh, for the players who did not practice, first of all, a couple guys just with veteran rest days and Stephon Gilmore and Yannick Ngakwe. After that, players who did not practice on Wednesday, Jonathan Taylor with his ankle, still on the bench, center Ryan Kelly with a hip, linebacker Shaquille Leonard with his concussion, nose injury, and still listed with his back injury, defensive end Quiddy Pay with the ankle, Cornerback Tony Brown with a concussion. Defensive tackle Eric Johnson with an illness. Uh, limited participation, uh, Naheem Hines with a concussion. Tyquan Lewis with a concussion. Safety Julian Blackman with his ankle injury was back on the field practicing, so an encouraging sign. And a full participant in practice, Quentin Nelson, though he does show up on the injury report with ankle and shoulder injuries. Now, if we look at Thursday, what we have seen so far as we tape this podcast uh, the the Colts are on the field as we speak, so that official practice report will come a little bit later in the day. You can follow us on Twitter at Colts Blue Zone to get those notes throughout the week. 
but uh, as uh, our very own Brett Bensley is out of practice, saying uh, the Jonathan Taylor, Ryan Kelly are both back practicing for the Colts. Equity Pay is there, but he does not look to be practicing. Had a sleeve, had a brace uh, over his ankle. So says Brett. Uh, a couple other people who I saw. Let's see. Um, let's see. I was. I. W- I literally just had them, and then they're they gone. were the only ones. I was out there too with Brett. Okay. That weren't practicing. Of course, Shaq and uh, and Quiddy. Right. Everybody else, I believe, was back out was there. Was back out there. Okay, so that includes Eric Johnson, and, and we'll Tony see, Brown. Well, er, I, we'll I didn't see. see. I didn't see Eric Johnson. Okay, I wasn't looking for Eric Johnson. Right, exactly. You're looking for them the other year. No, no disrespect to Eric you, you, Johnson. There are there are priorities, and you yes. check. But and, and we'll see later in the day on which ones were full, which ones were limited. Right. What I noticed was that Tyquan Lewis, who's in protocol, did not have the red jersey, which means he's taken that next step. To full. Uh, Naheem Hines still had the red jersey, mm-hmm. which means he's he's a little behind. But keep in mind, Taekwon had like a week on him uh, as far as being out. Mm-hmm. So we'll see. Uh, and we won't know. Now, Jonathan Taylor, again, we talked to him. And he's really, really good at giving us nothing. He's the best. Uh, which which is fine. I mean, I understand that. But, you know, he, he I think that the thing is today is test it with a good practice. See how it feels tomorrow. And if it's not too bad, then practice again tomorrow, and then he plays. But I really think they're in good shape injury-wise. I think Julian Blackman's got a chance. Although I tell you, Rodney Thomas is playing pretty well, right? So I, that's that's a good that's a good issue to have. Yeah, Ryan Kelly practicing is a good thing. So I think they're in really pretty good shape health-wise. I mean, heck, uh, Rodney Thomas had one interception. Should have had two. And he might have had two. Yeah. yeah the ref like, didn't get in Yeah, his you got to be really happy. But the ref's part of the playing field. So, like, you look at him like, well, daggummit, that should it should have been this. But, I like, I felt bad for the ref, too, because he's, like, trying to get away he's from the ball. To back, exactly. He's trying to get yeah, yeah, yeah. the heck out of there. He, he's he's not not doing his job in right. that scenario. Sometimes you see a ref just lollygagging, like, like what are you doing? Get out of the way. What's going on here? He but, was trying to get no. the heck out of the way. He was, and he just couldn't he do it. He couldn't get out of there faster than professional. I know, <laughs> right? Yeah, for real. So, like, so in the moment, like, you're yelling at him if you're a Colts fan, but I think after the, um, after the emotion dies down, you can understand that, it was just a really tough situation for him to be in. So and unfortunate. Yeah, they still won. Call. It's all good. I know. He still won. So so you could forgive him entirely. <laughs> That's with right. the win. And Rodney got another interception later, so he got one anyway. Uh, all, all, all's well that ends well. So with the injuries, it looks like the most unlikely to play is Quiddy. It, he won't he, play. he might be several weeks out. And Shaq is, mm-hmm. doesn't look like this week, next week, unknown. I was told, Frank told us they had to wait until the swelling went down. But he's going to have to have surgery on the nose. Now, I, I, I guess I was surprised with both Quiddy and Shaq that they weren't put on IR because that's four games. Right. And if we do that before the Denver game, then this is the second game. It just shortens it. But it would give you every indication to think that maybe Quiddy plays, if not next week, then the week after, which is, is that that's Washington. Yes, it is. Because if that's not the case, then why didn't you IR him? Mm-hmm. So now the only downside, if the IR guys, they can't practice. But it just tells you that they didn't think these guys would be out four games. Yeah. Well, we'll see about Shaquille um, yeah. with a nose surgery that, that is likely. I don't know if there's plastic surgery that that is. I don't you know. know. Who knows? Like Because cause if nose get, noses get really bent out of shape, quite literally, uh, it can it can lead to like problems. It can lead to breathing problems. And, and those, those are things that, that get really complicated up there. It's not just a matter of setting the bone and letting it heal. 
And with, with the nose, a lot of times when I broke my nose when I was in like elementary school, it didn't need to be set. It didn't need to be anything like that. It, it healed normally. But I also didn't get hit in, in the head with Zaire Franklin's helmet. He must have just been smashed. Yeah. Like it, right. it, was, it blew up his face mask. Exactly. Yeah. So if it, if it hit that hard, like it... It could be bad. Like, and we haven't had the chance to talk to we're, Shaquille about it. We've not seen Shaq in the locker room? No, nowhere. And I'm not surprised that we haven't seen him because I'll bet that his face is pretty mangled. My huh? face was mangled enough, and, and I just got hit by a baseball. He probably looks like a boxer that just took a yeah. chin round beating. Yeah. So, like you said, the swelling has to go down. Then you have to evaluate. Then you actually have to do it. So IR just made sense. I, I just It did, exactly. I so just, it's, it's just crazy. Now, with, with Quiddy, who knows... But with all they're dealing with the shack, it just made sense. But oh well. But 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 who are we? But 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 who are we to judge? Correct. I guess. They just but maybe just they maybe they call and I just don't see that they call asking for advice. I, yeah. I don't know what it is. Yeah. Jaguars injury report. A couple players ruled out, including a starting left guard Ben Barch was placed on injured reserve this week with a knee injury. Uh, they did sign a veteran, John Miller who played for the Panthers last year, has 84 career starts. That's a lot of experience for a guard who hasn't been playing, but I kind of went over, it's like, like, who is this guy? Why is a guy with so many starts not on a team, on a roster anywhere? Well, I looked on his pro football focus uh, page before I came in here, and he graded out like a 52 last year, and that's on a 1 to 100 scale. I think good offensive linemen are in the 70s. And if you if you're in the 80s, you're really good. Yeah, for good the most is part. in the 70s. Okay, is like the 60s. Yeah, but just, he's 52, so it's like yeah, low 50s. It's below average. And he had he allowed seven sacks last year as a guard. He allowed seven sacks last year, so it's like okay. Now now I understand why he wasn't on anybody's you roster. Buckner right over him. There you go. <laughs> Quint, uh, yeah, DeForest, you see this guy and go. So that would be ideal if he is going to be the one who's playing. So or. They just signed him or for whoever seven. the backup. Exactly, yeah. There. Put it seriously, because I, I, I mean, I, I, we, we've talked about this, uh, and you guys have talked about this too, uh, on your Mondays or your your game recap stuff. Like when DeForest Buckner has been on this year, the Colts have been a different team. They've been a different defense, and he has been really good in a couple games specifically. He was great in Denver. He was really good in their win against um, against the Chiefs as well. Uh, he, he has. And he's fighting through injuries, so like you, uh, you can understand. It's an elbow, right? It is. It's an elbow injury, so you can understand in that sense some of the. I don't know if inconsistency is the right word in his play, but just the the level just shoots up when he has things going for him, when he has the elbow under control, when things are feeling good for him. Chap, he's having a pretty good year right now, and it's it's kind of gone under the radar, I think, a little bit. Quarterbacks do not like pressure up the middle. No. They just, they, you know, whatever comes from the outside, you've always got the, the the calmness to step up. But when you've got six seven Buckner in front of you, you can't do that. He had, what, two sacks, batted the ball down, and the attention he got on the early sack for Ngakwe allowed that sack to happen. Mm-hmm. So it's just... I don't think that three technique is, is as much of a focal point in this defense as it was with Eberflus. But when, when your guy inside, he and Grover, when they can do what they do, Grover's more not – you can't move him and, and he makes plays in a run game and mm-hmm. occasionally, of course, a nice uh, block uh, field goal as well. Buckers, what, what he does, when he can get pressure inside, it just disrupts Everything. Also, the Jaguars have ruled out their edge rusher, Calavion Chase, on with a knee injury. He was placed on injured reserve also this week. Only has two career sacks. Uh, was a first-round pick in 2020. 
Um, Joe, is that right? He only has two career sacks? Yeah. Yeah, he's not been doing a whole lot. Okay. But, yeah, yeah. but he's an athletic presence right. on the edge and former first-round pick who's still young. So, well, 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 they have some other playmakers on defense they that do. we'll get to for sure. And, and the Colts have had a first-hand look at, at one or two of them in particular that we will get to uh, coming up in more of our, uh, our preview area here. But a couple players who were limited in participation practice on Wednesday uh, include a couple players on the defensive line, a linebacker, uh, and, and some of these names are, are, are not the easiest names to say, so I'm, I'm not going to say Go them. ahead, Dave. No, that's cool. <laughs> uh, but but they're all limited, and Zay Jones is, is among them. With a lim- was limited on Wednesday with an ankle, but nobody was ruled out, uh, or nobody was did not participate in Wednesday's practice. So uh, so their injury report is much shorter than the Colts this week. But nevertheless, they don't have Barch, their left guard, starting left guard. They don't have their edge rusher Clavian Chase on either uh, for this weekend's game. The Colts are two two and one. The Jaguars are two and three. As I've said, one o'clock kickoff game broadcast in central Indiana on CBS four chap. We have made much and understandably so of the Colts uh, awful streak in Jacksonville or just on the road in particular, because it includes one game in London. Um, Just as impressive, really, or almost as impressive, I should say, has been the Colts streak against Jacksonville as the home team. They've won four in a row. And eight of their last nine overall inside Lucas Oil Stadium. So even though last year, as we talk about it being close, and the Colts needed a defensive player to step up, they got one with Dio stopping a drive, going and stripping the ball from Trevor Lawrence there late. They have still won eight of their last nine against the Jaguars here in Indy. Well, that's what we were talking. You know, JT says it's about protecting your home. And that's what you have to do. They've already, they're behind the eight ball as far as the division. Are they 0-2-1 in the division now? Yes. But you've got to, you can't struggle at home as well. It's just too hard to win on the road, as we've seen. So you're right. It's it's kind of a flip in the series, and you need to extend that because I go back to how close these guys were to being first in the division with Washington knocking on the door at the end of the game. So Joe and I talked about this, and it's going to be true unless you're just awful. You're going to be relevant in the AFC South because it's the AFC South. So take care of business at home, and then, you you know, we won't get into it now, but then you've got Tennessee next week in Nashville. So no matter how poorly they've played so far, things are in place to get better real quick. Certainly helped that the Jacksonville couldn't get anything going on offense, really, Joe, last week in a 13-6 to loss to the Texans at home. I mean, it was close late, but Texans made a couple plays late, and uh, Trevor Lawrence he, he still, still shows that he is he's still in development. You know, those first two games of the season were pretty good. Uh, after that, he's had a couple of uh, ups and downs since then. But, um, but this Jacksonville team, uh, after a promising start to the year, they're trying to find their footing, I think, a little bit right now. Uh, trying to rebound from this loss last week to the Texans. Yeah, they had a close loss week one to the Commanders, and then they blew the doors off of the Colts and Chargers in back-to-back weeks. And we're all here saying, "Uh uh-oh, the Jaguars might be a force to be reckoned with this year, not just for the Colts, but for the entire league. Trevor Lawrence looking great. Kind of come back to earth a bit, a little bit the last two weeks, and I have some more stats that really break that down once we get two players to watch. Right. The Jacksonville offense this year is pretty pretty close to average in terms of just points and yards per game. They're 15th in scoring, 22 points per game, 13th in yards uh, with uh, better than 350 yards per game. They're dead dead even, 16th in passing, 16th in rushing yards in the NFL. Um, Balanced. Their offensive line has done pretty well with the third fewest sacks allowed, only allowing six sacks. Um, I think most of them came against Philadelphia two weeks ago, just uh, from all the Eagles accounts that I follow. 
Um, because yeah, uh, I think tr- they sacked four times. Yeah, and I think there were two s- true strip sacks as well that four. week. So four strip sacks. He had four sack fumbles. Okay, well, well, geez, thank you for, for pointing <laughs> that out. That was uh, crazy. So they have uh, eight turnovers, which again playing the Eagles, which appear to have one of the best defenses Five in the of them league. Came against the Eagles. Exactly four. right there. Um, just kind of blows that a little bit out of proportion. And also shows that other than that game, they've taken care of the ball really well. Um, so is it an opportunistic defense chap that can take the ball away from them? Sure. The Colts have also proven that when their defense is good, it is one of the best uh, in, in the league right now, I think. Yeah, I was looking. There's one team in the, in the league this year that's not allowed a point in the fourth quarter. It's Indy. That's right. It's crazy. And I think they've given up only 30 points maybe or 34 points in, in the second half. Mm-hmm. So they could, that means that they're not getting a lot done in the first half. But they, they've shown the ability in two or three games to close the door. They, we talked about Matt Hawk not doing his job, but he had the one bad punt was, remember, in Houston in overtime where he gave Houston a short field, and the defense covered it up. Yep. So that, and that's what you want. I went back and looked, too. What was the score in Houston last week that Jacksonville lost? 13-6. Houston had like 421 yards. Or Jacksonville did. I mean, mm-hmm. that's tough to do. Yeah. So they're move, I talked to a guy in Jacksonville. They, they move up and down the field. Then they just lost their way uh, late in drives. So the one thing to keep in mind, and Joe's probably get on here. I didn't get a chance to look at this very closely. But Trevor Lawrence eats these guys up. His two best games, I believe, have been against the Colts. Mm-hmm. So, uh, but, but I like the way this defense is playing. Gosh, you just wish your offense would help them. Yeah. You, you can only do so much defensively. Mm-hmm. We'll, we'll get to more about Lawrence shortly. Let's talk about the Jacksonville defense quickly first. And they have a pretty good defense. Uh, the fifth fewest points in the league, averaging 16 points per game. Ninth fewest yards in the league, averaging 313 yards against them. Uh, they're average against the pass. They're pretty good against the run. And uh, they're allowing only 3.7 yards per carry, which ranks fourth in the league. Uh, Sacks, uh, they don't get after the quarterback great. Uh, They only have 10 sacks on the year through five games. They are fifth in takeaways, though. They have nine takeaways. So they have been in opportunistic defense themselves, taking the ball away. They have 10 sacks. Mm-hmm. Didn't they have five against the Colts? Yeah, I think so. Yeah. I mean, so there you go. Like ten hits and five sacks. Mm-hmm. I, I it, it, my impression mm-hmm. is that their, their defense is more aggressive and disruptive than that. But those are the numbers. Yep. Yeah, yeah you can't argue with them. Um, now we get to the players to watch. Uh, Trevor Lawrence, chap, you just said that he has played some of his best football against the Colts, and, and you're completely right. Uh, his game this year. Uh, against them was really, really good. And I think Joe has a stat even later that uh, is going to come up in keys to the game somewhere. That I, I did see it. I swear I saw it. Yeah, uh, that, that will kind of uh, break down more about why he has um, been particularly effective against the Colts. But um, he, he has, Joe, struggled lately. As we mentioned, his first three games, he had six touchdowns and only one turnover, but two touchdowns and seven turnovers the last two games. So even other than the five turnovers against Philadelphia there, uh, or the four sack fumbles, uh, maybe an interception, there, there have been seven turnovers total. So, so Houston got to him once or twice. He threw a really bad pass in the end zone that Derek Stingley picked off um, that uh, could have been three points. It could have been seven points if he'd just done something different. But his completion percentage went, has gone way down. Um, but yeah, against the Colts, we see some of his numbers here. They were really good. They were re- very much different than he had the last two weeks. Yeah, just quickly went through... Trevor Lawrence's game logs in his entire career. His two highest 
games in terms of completion percentage have both come uh, his last two games against the Colts. Mm-hmm. So really the, the quick passing game, getting the ball out, kind of goes hand-in-hand with what the Colts' defense schematically has been willing to give up. And so that kind of plays right into what Jacksonville wants to do is just get the ball out quickly to their playmakers um, and and let them eat up some yards after the catch. And one of those playmakers that had a really good game against the Colts first time out was Christian Kirk, the wide receiver they paid uh, a boatload of money to, backed up the Brinks truck to bring him from Arizona to Jacksonville this offseason. But he only had one catch for 11 yards last week against Houston. Uh, He's still leading the team in receiving yards, receiving touchdowns and targets this year. And against the Colts, Chap, he had six catches for 72 yards, two touchdowns. As Joe said, it was very much a quick-hitting passing attack. And I, I, again, juxtapose that with what the Chiefs were doing, is dropping back the very next week after after the Jaguars really showed the blueprint to beat the Colts and did some very different things on offense. They tried to do what they do and let plays develop, let Mahomes evade the pressure if he could, and then try to beat them long. The Jaguars proved how they could beat this Colts defense it's a matter of if they can do it again and if the Colts can make the adjustments to try to make them do something else, I think, this weekend. And you would think the adjustment is, is to be more pressure on defense. Right. And, and make Lawrence go to read number two or three. and not yeah. Because of that first game, it was the foot hits the ground and the ball's out. Yep. So if you're going to give your front defensive front a chance, then take away those quick throws and, and have faith that – Either the line's going to get there or your safeties or even your corners can cover up deep. So you, you just can't have it both ways. You can't, you know, not you, – you can't not pressure the, the receivers and expect your, your pass rush to get there because there's not time. Mm-hmm. When it comes to the running game, the Jaguars are have been historically, Joe, like a running team. You have Maurice Jones-Drew for years. Before that, you had Fred Taylor for years. I think they're trying to transition to more of a quote-unquote modern NFL offense with uh, with more of a passing game, and then you run at the end to try to try to win. Like you pass to to rack up points to score, and then you run to keep the ball away from teams at the end of the game to to control things. James Robinson is their control guy, um, and he played more often the first couple games of the season. Um, but Travis Etienne is more the big play guy, and he seems to have caught on a little bit more lately. Yeah, first-round pick from a couple years ago, and he was injured, of course, all of last year. This is kind of really his rookie season, and with the new coaching staff who didn't draft him, he's kind of had to prove himself throughout the first few weeks of the season, and he's earned more playing time. He's gotten more snaps than Robinson each of the past two weeks. Um, He's averaging better yards per carry than Robinson. He's 4.9 on the year, so he's really the big play threat in the backfield. He has the speed to make it pay Robinson meanwhile had the hot start to the season touchdown in each of his first three games was averaging 4.5 yards per carry during those first three games over his last two he's averaging 3.1 yards per carry no touchdowns and has gone from 56 percent of the snaps during his first three games to 43 percent during his last three so we're seeing the coaching staff kind of do maybe a bit of a transition I still think it's uh, kind of a 50-50 backfield in terms of these are the two guys. And then just for fun, maybe they'll mix in Agnew, who had a big game against the Colts last year in Indianapolis. Um, so can't forget about him. But it looks like they're starting to go to ETN, 
who who's just more capable of ripping off those big plays and giving you more efficiency per touch. Yeah, and Chap, if you're going to want to, as you said, be more of an aggressive defense, whether that's with your edge rushers getting upfield and pressuring Lawrence or with the secondary kind of being out there and doing more press coverage on, on the outside, you can't forget about ETN as a guy who's going to be coming out of the backfield and, as Joe just said, is a guy who's just now getting a little bit more responsibility than he had earlier this year because if you just if you just blow past him and you allow Lawrence to dump it off to him, he's a guy that can really make you pay if he gets pat into that second level of the defense. Well, like Joe said, he's, he's sort of like the of what they want to do as a future offense to where be more aggressive with your running backs. And he's the one, like you said, get him out in space. It's, it's kind of what like what the Colts would like to do with Naheem Hines that we, we're still waiting for. Maybe one day. Maybe, yeah, maybe when you know he goes in the ring of honor, it'll be finally he gets his touches. <laughs> but it, it's I, I've never thought that the running backs that just bludgeon, try to bludgeon the Colts are the ones that hurt them. Robinson had the decent day against Indy. But that included a 37-yard run, yes, yeah. which totally bloats your averages. I think it's it's the running back that can get out in space, they hit on screens, and if you miss a tackle, it's 20 yards. There were one or two of those in Denver. With who was the running back? Boone. Boone, yeah. Boone. He he hurt him on a couple of plays, and those are the ones that can gash a defense. And this team needs to really limit the big plays out of the running game. Yeah, with Robinson, he had 23 carries for 64 yards the first time he met the Colts. So outside of that one 37-yard run, he had 22 carries for 27 yards. So that, that's pretty darn good. And especially, as Joe pointed out earlier, he averaged four and a half yards per carry the first three games of the season. So that game was really the outlier. He had two really good games around it. He was running really well. But now he's getting a little bit less time there. ETN's getting a little bit more. The coaches have decided to give him more of the, the share. So uh, so we'll see exactly how things break down here uh, against the Colts after uh, Robinson has already proved to not be the most effective running back against this defense. I, I would imagine to see more ETN, but who knows? Maybe Robinson will get some fourth-quarter touches if the Jaguars are ahead and they're trying to milk a lead because he's the guy kind of to do that, to be more of the between-the-tackle guy and try to move the chains that way. On defense, Josh Allen is a stud. At least he is against the Colts. Uh, he uh, leads the Jaguars with three sacks and two forced fumbles. And two of those three sacks this year came against the Colts. And in fact, he has two sacks in both of the last two games against the Colts, the one to close out last year and the one in week two of this year. And with the Colts' offensive line issues, which we're going to certainly talk about in our keys to the game, Mike, there, there's no way that the Colts feel good, I think, about this game if Josh Allen starts to be the game wrecker that he was and has been really the last two uh, the last two games against them, well, we and we saw that last week in Denver with Browning and uh, Bradley Chubb. You got to figure something speed, out. Speed rushers on the outside really give these guys issues, and then if you're not careful, you know, like with what well, was Jacksonville, didn't they do a lot of problems with stunts that these guys didn't pick up, mm-hmm. and then and then Kansas City comes with with the uh, blitzers, so. And, and this is with an offensive line that you just don't know what you've got. They don't know what they've got. So if, if they don't deal with Josh Allen and, 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 and Walker, it's going to be a long day for Matt Ryan, and we've seen what happens when he has long days. Joe Devin Lloyd, a rookie first-round pick, is, is a pretty darn good player. You never know with linebackers. You can come in and make an impact right away, and, and Lloyd, Lloyd certainly seems to have done that in Jacksonville. Yeah, this guy is yeah, – I remember he was – 
coming out of college compared to Darius Leonard in terms of he had the, the long, lanky build with those long arms, very instinctive in coverage, got his hands on a lot of footballs, and that's what he's doing in the NFL so far. Um, he leads this team with 49 t- total tackles, two interceptions, and six passes defended. So Matt Ryan's going to have to be very aware of he where he is in the middle of the field. He had one of his interceptions in three passes defended against the Colts in week two. Mm-hmm. So really was able to just uh, read Matt Ryan and see where he was going with the football on that one. Um, this is a guy that has instantly first round pick come onto the scene and made a big impact for the Jaguars. And let's remember in that game, I think Matt Ryan was kind of focused more on the middle of the field because they were missing Pierce and Pittman. So without two of their top wideouts, they had to lean more on running backs and tight ends. We'll see if they're able to avoid Lloyd a little bit more by targeting uh, their weapons on the perimeter. Yep, yep, that's a great point. You know, I think the Jaguars can come into this game feeling confident knowing that you just shut this team out three, four weeks ago, whatever it was. But the Colts have to feel pretty good knowing that they have those two guys back. I mean, if you don't have Pittman, you don't have Pierce. That, That severely limits what you are able to do on offense. So I think you think you have... If you're the Colts, a, a trick or two up your sleeve that the Jaguars chap did not see that 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 first time down there in Jacksonville. And, and we've seen teams doing a decent job of limiting Pittman the last game or two. They have, yeah. But boy, Pierce is just he's showing you these last three games. What he had no catches in the opener mm-hmm. and a big drop, a big drop, and then he misses week two. But he's just been, and I tell you, Matt Ryan's not made it easy on him. Mm-hmm. He, he's making him make tough catches, uh, and and he's done it. And it's just so encouraging to see the second-round pick when a lot of us had – not that we thought he wasn't going to be a player. We thought it might take him a while to kind of get his feet on the ground. But when you see him in the locker room or, or during a game, he's just unflappable. He's just like the same steady line. Yep. And he's making catches, big catches. And, uh, again, not having him in, in week two was major. And, and to have both those guys back, it's got to help the passing game. Since 1951, Hancock Health has been centered around you. And now, as a member of the Mayo Clinic Care Network, our services are amplified by the world leader in medicine. We were selected by Mayo Clinic because of our commitment to caring for East Central Indiana. Now, our local experts are taking that commitment further by consulting with Mayo Clinic specialists and working together to make health possible. Learn more at HancockHealth.org slash Mayo Clinic. Well, let's talk about our keys to the game this week as the Colts take on the Jaguars here in Indianapolis at Lucas Oil Stadium. One o'clock kickoff Sunday afternoon. The keys have to start, have to start with the offensive line, Mike, because it is the one area the Colts keep searching for answers. They, They traded one guy out. They traded three guys around. It's going to be different again. Bernard Ryman is going to be the left tackle right now is what Frank Reich said this week. They're going to roll with him, whether there are mistakes or not. And there will be mistakes. What Frank said, they're going to take some lumps out there. You have to with a third round rookie tackle who just started playing football seven years ago. But outside of him, it's still not settled. It's not just there's one position. The Colts have had different issues along the offensive line. And this is not the time in the middle of the season to be shuffling combinations and seeing what works, but it's a situation the Colts find themselves in because of the problems they've had up front. Nothing tells you the desperation they were at to change three positions on a short week with like one or two walkthroughs. That's incredible that they they thought that basically what they're saying is, can it be worse? 
Well, and it really was. Because I, I thought they really, you know, Ryman had, I think he gave up, was it four penalties? Four penalties. And one was declined. And there were six sacks. And there were, he gave up five pressures. And I think Matt Pryor at right tackle gave up eight or nine pressures. That's just, yeah, there will be, I, I think it's fair to say there will be a di- different alignment this week. I don't know why they didn't leave Braden Smith at right tackle. Frank said they wanted to try to to, to boost the run game in, on the interior, but you downgraded two positions. Forget, forget about left tackle. You downgraded right guard and right tackle. You, you made each of them worse. So I leave Braden Smith at right tackle and then figure out guard. And if it's not prior, then Will Fries. I don't know if Dennis Kelly's an option inside at guard. Well, I was going to ask, do you think they leave Smith at guard and try Dennis Kelly at right tackle since tackles his, you know, normal position? Um, These have got to be the two most expensive guards of all time oh, in yeah. the NFL. I would rather, facing <laughs> a team with the outside rush that these guys have got, I would rather be more confident in my outside protection than interior. But, yeah, can you imagine you're going to have Quentin at $20 million a year at right guard and you have Smith at 17 or whatever it is? And, you know, by the way, Kelly's making whatever it is, 14 or $15 million, $13 million. But I just – the fact that they're – that they're not they're not throwing darts on the wall, but they seem to be awful close to that. I just leave Braden Smith at right tackle, and then figure out right guard. And oh, by the way, get Ryan Kelly back to playing at a high level because he's not playing well. No, he's not. And, and it was noticeable that Danny Pinter came in the second half for an injured Ryan Kelly. Things and they settled better. down a little bit. They did. And I don't know if that's just making adjustments at halftime and the coaches doing a good job. Or if that's Pinter. And somebody asked Frank Reich this week, has there been consideration? He said they're not talking about it. Right. said they have not talked about replacing Ryan Kelly at center. So that is not an option on the table right now. Uh, So we'll leave it at that. Um, Dennis Kelly has also been asked about, too, because, I mean, you brought him in for for some reason. He told Joel Erickson, he said, I I, I came here to play. Yeah. And But but keep in mind, Dennis Kelly did not participate in offseason work with the knee issue. He misses training camp because he had a knee procedure, which we call surgery. Yes. So it's just, he, he's not been involved in this offense. And once you get into the season, it, it's it's hard to get guys caught up to what they missed. But I, I'm It's also little, hard to change three guys and run one short week and, and be competent. So so you're right. I, I, I have a hard – they may do it. I have a hard time believing – they leave Matt Pryor in the lineup. I just, I, I just, it's like they're trying to hide him. And you can't hide people in the Not NFL. Not when they're on the field. No, you can't mm, do You it. can hide them on the bench. Right. So I, only place. I, 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 I go back to Smith and then I try to figure out right guard. Yeah. I, I get why they got to keep trying things out because what they're doing isn't working. But don't you get the sense that, this week, maybe next week, but after that, they kind of got to stick to some sort of a lineup so that they can get some continuity together. It also doesn't do these guys any favors when they're switching positions and they have mm-hmm. new guys next to them all the yeah, time. Yeah, you, you can't do this the rest of the year. You're right. You know, this is not going to be a week-to-week thing from now until week week 18. Like, if right now you're trying to find something that works and you figure if you take three weeks to do that, you're going to have to take your lumps along the way. That, that's how I see it. Well, and at some level, you're putting Matt Pryor in a position to fail. 
he spent all off season preparing at left tackle. And as we, as we found out, that didn't work, and he wasn't the answer. So now you put him at right tackle, which is probably more of a natural position, but he hasn't played there since last year. And then you, if you put him at right guard, when well, he hasn't played there for a while. So it, it's just it, – it's not where you want to be. And, and the thing that's strange is, for the most part, they're not making these changes because you've got guys hurt. It's because you can't figure out the right combination. And Joe mentioned it, and it's really a difficult situation where the most important thing on the offensive line, well, one, it's talent. It's having the right guys. But then it's continuity. You always hear these guys say you've got to have trust in the guys next to you and continuity, continuity. But it was obvious they had to make a change after the first three games, and then they changed. They put Fries in it, right guard for Penner, and then they changed it again. So – like Joe said, you give them props for making changes. But at some point, you want to be able to keep the same group together so they can kind of so you can see what you got. But you can't do that at the expense of the offense. And this group is, is the one group that, if you look at the team as a whole, would be the reason that Chris Ballard could be, quote-unquote, under fire a little bit just for how this team is built this year. Because it's the one that you d- delve so many resources into, but it's still performing at, at, at a subpar level. And, and I saw something this week. It was a pro football focused tweet. And it just it made me shake my head because I remember talking about the draft two years ago leading into it and where the Colts Second were. Highest graded left tackle in the league. A young Christian Darasaw. Yeah. Yes. The guy yeah, that we. Joe, Joe knew exactly what I was talking about. I saw that tweet as well and I got a little red in the face yep. left, seeing that. Left tackle Christian Darasaw, second highest in the league. And he has allowed one sack in his last 350 pass blocking snaps i know chris ballard said he didn't didn't like him as much at left tackle uh he wanted and they had more of an onus on filling the defensive end spot there that was a uh like position a that they wanted to fix i think is what we saw through their uh their with the next pick series at least that's what they want us to believe and and eric fisher was in the back of their mind and eric you're right you're completely right eric fisher was in the back of their mind but it still it, it, it casts more light about this problem that when there was an opportunity to fix this on, at left tackle, they decided to go elsewhere. And I'm not going to bring Quiddy Pay down at all. I think he was playing really well until his ankle got hurt. He leads the team in sacks. He's playing darn good football. And, and we, we talk so often about the need for an edge rush. So it's hard to criticize Ballard for picking Quiddy Pay when he is playing well and it was a position of need. But... It's still it's still an issue that because of how bad the offensive line has been and how the inefficiencies and inconsistencies there have spread to other positions on the team, quarterback not being good enough, running game not being good enough, it is a reason at least to have some criticism that is valid toward Chris Ballard in how he has built this team. I thought the the biggest mistake they made in that is they they basically gave left tackle to Pryor and they gave right uh, right guard, gave left tackle to Pryor and gave right guard to Pinner in camp and said, it's theirs. Right. There wasn't any competition. Bernard Ryman didn't compete. Was not a competitor, no. At left tackle. So I think that's the biggest issue. And I saw Pro Football Focus had their – Offensive line rankings today. Colts are 32. Dead last. Isn't there 32 teams in the league? So, and it's one where sometimes you want to argue with their ratings. Can't do it. 21 sacks. Can't do it. Won't do it. (laughs) 
<laughs> Mike you, and, you, and you can't make me. <laughs> yeah. It, it, we'll see. A lot of resources, a lot of the offensive line in terms of money. Bernard Ryman is the highest draft pick Ballard has spent on an offensive tackle, and that came late in the third round. Braden Smith was a guard when they selected him, played guard at Auburn, and was a surprise um, guy who worked out at right tackle he, because of injuries. He went to tackle because they were out of tackles. Yep. That was, was at camp that they lost everybody. It's like the Kenny Moore move. Like They, right. they needed somebody. Throw him in there. They, they lost every tackle. Okay, throw Braden out there. And uh, Coach Goosh, to be fair, who is – been through the ringer with a bunch of different teams since he was also unceremoniously uh, let go from the Colts. Credit to him saying he thought that Braden Smith was a tackle, and he has been. Yep. And then so basically Ballard, who preaches the trenches, offensive line, defensive line, 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 in one draft he took a guard in top six and a second guard at the top of the second round and has basically ignored the offensive line since, aside from fifth and sixth round draft picks. Because Kelly was already with the team when Ballard was brought in, and they, uh, they they did sign Eric Fisher. That didn't work out well. He's still a free agent. I wouldn't mind him being the left tackle now. That's what I'm saying. Bring Eric Fisher back. But they're he's gonna, not worse than what they have. They're, maybe he does. Maybe he sees his team and doesn't want to come back. I don't know what the deal right. is. But if I was him, I would understand. Look, but look, look uh, I, I get why some people have Chris Ballard in the hot seat because this offensive line that has so much paid. The Colts talk about the trenches. The trenches, well. You've kind of neglected the offensive line recently, and it shows. How about the defensive line? Key number two for this game, get some pressure on Trevor Lawrence. They did not pressure him in week two. and We've already said it was difficult to do because they were getting the ball out so quickly. But if it was easy to do, I would be out there doing it, making $10 million a year. It's not easy to do. You're asked to do it. Go do it. Zero sacks week two. He was hit just twice. And Trevor Lawrence, Joe, as you explained, completed 83% of his passes. His best two games in completion percentage have come against the Colts. That needs to change, and to do that, it's the defensive line that needs to start driving the ship. Defensive line needs to step up, and I think they need to adjust their coverage and play a lot closer on these receivers. I mean, if, if you're going to give receivers five, six, seven yards off the ball at a time, they'll hit them with those quick passes every time and just dink and dunk all the way down the field because they have the kind of patience to do that, and that's what Trevor Lawrence is most comfortable with. So I'd like to see them get up into these into the grill of these wide receivers. And, you know, I, I don't want players playing out of place, but if we're going to get into some press man, I'd almost say put Gilmore on Christian Kirk because uh, I, I think Christian Kirk would continue to abuse Kenny Moore in the slot, although Ken, Kenny did have a nice game last week mm-hmm. in Denver, really his best game of the season. Yes, it was. But I if I'm the Colts and I'm thinking about Kenny Moore versus Christian Kirk man-to-man in the slot, I don't like that one bit. Colts do, chap, have eight sacks in their three games since that uh, travesty in Jacksonville. So good news they're playing better. Bad news they don't have Quiddy Pay. But if you have DeForest Buckner and also Dio Dango seem Dio's to play really well. well, too. So if you have the, both of those guys and they're still playing at the same level they have in recent weeks, that could uh, go a long way toward uh, doing a lot better than you did in week two. And they're going to get Taekwon Lewis back. And, mm-hmm. and he's he's one of those guys that's really easy to not know, not pay attention to him. And I think when you don't have him, it just stresses the rotation. So I, I think he gives you flexibility inside. He, he can play outside. I, I like he and I like Dio, what they can bring and compensate for Quiddy being out. Also, finally, last key to the game, Joe, create some big plays. You can't expect this offensive line to consistently block Jacksonville's front, but when they do, you have to take advantage of those opportunities and get some big chunks. Yeah, we at this point, there's no reason to believe the offensive line will consistently for a whole you know, double-digit play series 
block well enough. Um, so you got to get some big chunk plays so that you're not asking them to do that multiple times per game. In the week two meeting, the Colts had just four plays of 20-plus yards, and the first one didn't come until there was 10 seconds left in the third quarter, already oh, down man. by 24 points. Oh, um, but, but then how do you get big plays when you can't protect the quarterback? You're right, yeah. I mean, run and catch, yeah, but, but stretching the field, the quarterback has to have a little bit of time. You're right. And we haven't gotten into it, but the quarterback's got to play better for crying out loud. Yeah, him too. I mean, holy smokes. The interceptions. Those two interceptions. Those two interceptions. We always <laughs> used to joke with, with Clyde Christensen, the, the position coach, with Andrew Luck. He'd make some, he called them bonehead plays. And I always used to joke with Clyde, you wish you could stop a game and go to Andrew and say, walk me through it. What did you see to make you think that was open? And that first one, to the safety, you're thinking, how do you not see him? And you just can't have a quarterback compounding the problems around him by being so careless. Yeah, the fumbles. Yes, the fumbles. But the interceptions are just killers. And each time, I thought, for the for a few times, the protection held up. And that's what you come up with. Mm-hmm. So until they get the line fixed, I don't know how you – I think they've got one play of 40 yards so far, the Colts do. And, it, and that's by Pierce. Tennessee, one. Right? That's just crazy. This team is not good enough to stay out of its own way to drive 10 plays. Well, the good news is that to get those big plays, as we mentioned, Pierce and Pittman will be back in this game, which they did not have. So that's going to be massive, especially with Pierce playing so much better. Um, I I think it was you who mentioned it, Dave, with teams really putting so much attention on Pittman and double-teaming him, bracketing him, having the safety over the top, kind of leaning towards Pittman's side. It's really created opportunities for Pierce. And, you know, it's been a while since the Colts had a good enough number two wide receiver to take advantage of when teams really um, uh, put the clamps down on the number one. And so that's going to be really big this week is getting those big plays from Pittman, Pierce, Taylor, if he plays, whoever mm-hmm. whoever can come up with them. Yeah, tight ends have done some good things too. And you look at you look at the Tennessee game a couple weeks ago that when I think Pittman only had three catches or something, and uh, it was the tight ends who were doing damage, it was because, yeah, they were bracketing Pittman and keeping him from doing anything big. And, and that's, that's good defensive strategy because with tight ends, if, if they're taking small chunks down the field, they're not going to kill you like Pittman can. Like they don't have the big playability for the most part that Pittman does. You know, we've seen Mo Alley-Cox down the middle of the field dragging two defenders. As I said, that's a whole lot of fun watching him do that. But for the most part, if you let tight ends beat you, those are going to be 10 or 12 play drives that get to the end zone. So if you're a defense trying to strategize, Chap, against this Colts offense, you'd much rather let the tight ends try to do that and say, we're going to take our chances and let our defensive ends rush the passer 10 times or whatever it is and try to make the Colts beat us, and while they're at it, we will beat them in, in that light and push them back and make the chains longer. And, and rather than kind of try to do more of a an even, whatever, coverage of the secondary and say, well, whoever beats us beats us. Like, no, let the tight ends beat you. Do it in the middle of the field. Don't let the guys on the outside beat you. That just seems to make sense. Well, through five games, the Colts have shown that if you, if you give them enough opportunities, they'll beat themselves right. on offense. And that's whether it's a sack, whether it's a offsides or a, a false start or holding penalties. So th- that's why I say everything always funnels back to the offensive line because it, it's hard to do. You know, they, they can't be who they are, which is a run team w- with the run game like this. It's in shambles. 
And again, I, I think Taylor plays this week, but what will be he be 100%? I don't know. When my dad taught me how to play ping pong, uh, the one piece of advice that I remember is him saying, you give your opponent enough rope and he'll hang himself. Like, ju- just return the ball. Like, get it back. It doesn't need to be the perfect shot. Get it back. Try to make your opponent move back and forth a little bit. Make it a little complicated so it's not the same thing every time. But just get it back to them. And, and that's what 10 or 12 play drives are. If teams can do that, then, then they'll do that all day, and then they'll make the good shot, and, and, and they'll beat you. But if you can't do that, if you just can't over and over and over again execute, 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 which this offensive line has not been able to do, then you have trouble. Trouble on first down, trouble on second down. What was it the other day? Second and 38? I don't know what it was. It was bad. Was it second? Maybe third and 38 maybe it was? I probably tried to block it from my Right, it's already gone. But but there were third and 15, third and 12. You hoped you had a third and seven. So it's all that together, and it's just conspiring. Again, let's keep in mind, this team has now gone seven straight games with 20 or fewer points. Mm -hmm. That's obscene. And, and it's it's the most since like 1993 by these guys. You just would think at some point you're going to luck into 21 points, but they can't do it. Colts offense playing like this. I, I'm not even in a position to talk trash about the Bears in Washington tonight. I, right? I have no room to say anything. <laughs> Except take the under. <laughs> take the under. That's what right. is it, like 37 or 38 right now? Yeah, the under. Still take the under. Like, like, like we we were talking about it. Like either way, you have to bet on one of those two teams to do well, or if you take the over – then you're betting on them both to do well. Why would you bet on either of these two teams right now with the way they are playing, and much less on both of them? As for this game, the Colts and Jaguars, FanDuel has the Colts one-and-a-half-point favorites at home. The over-under is set at 42-and-a-half, so they're predicting like a 22-20 ball game. As Chap said, the Colts have not scored 20 points in quite some time, so they would be breaking the mold if they were uh, to be able to cross that, uh, that own Mendoza line here in, in the NFL, if there is such a thing. But uh, I'll go first with my prediction, then uh, Joe, and then Chap can wrap us up here. Um, I may change my prediction once I hear his. Exactly. You never know. No, I'm going to take the Colts. Uh, yeah, I think that their, uh, their streak here at home against Jacksonville uh, kind of continues here, that they uh, are able to make a play late in the fourth quarter, and they're going to give you that hope. They're going to give you a little bit of hope, at least going into next week. Um, and uh, we'll, we'll give it a we'll give it a 21 to 17. I think it's going to be close again in the fourth quarter. Um, it, it, I mean, heck, if we learned anything this year is that the Colts are going to fall behind early and then Matt Ryan's going to give them a chance in the fourth quarter. If someone on defense can make a play and they're going to have a chance. Week one it was EJ Speed. Uh, I mean, last week against Denver, it was Stephon Gilmore. It was Rodney Thomas. It was uh, Grover Stewart with the block field goal. Like someone on defense is going to have to make a play in the fourth quarter, and then someone on offense is going to have to make a play in the fourth quarter. I think in that order for them to to pull one out here against Jacksonville. So twenty one seventeen is my pick. Joe, you're next, and then Chap will wrap us up. Well, God, <laughs> well, <laughs> strong conviction here. Uh, yeah, I, I, I got to take Jacksonville just because that's how this team has gone every time this season that you. Think they're building towards something. They break your heart. They break your heart and they fall backwards. And so I, I think they're going to lose at home to Jacksonville. And then next week they're going to beat Tennessee and Tennessee because that's just what they've been doing all year back and forth. Chap. Did you give a score? I, I, didn't, I didn't give a score. Let's Gosh, say, Joe, uh, geez. 20, Jacksonville's going to score 24 again and the Colts are going to get 17. I've got 24 14 Colts. 
Hey, whoa, so, I, I big had, winners I, I by had two down. scores. I heard that. That's true. But I, I had it written down before you said yours. Okay. I, again, I just think that they, they're going to find a way on offense. The 24 is probably going to include a defensive touchdown because his offense can't do it. I don't, I don't trust the offense I, at any level. Do I trust this offense until they get the offensive line fixed? And this line might be broken for the rest of the season. It really might. But I just think having Pearson, Pittman back is going to help. I think JT plays, and I think he's good enough. I think Naheem Hines plays, and he's good enough. But uh, I just think, like I say, with the streak they've got going at home continues. I think I saw another stat that they've trailed at half in seven straight games, I think I saw. That's crazy. You just can't – when you're this bad on offense, you can't keep trailing, you know, all game. Mm-hmm. But I think they find a way 24-14, and then for like 10 days, everybody's happy. It's not tenable to keep doing that Correct. and to be successful. And so and so much about this Colts team has been not tenable. And that, that has been the frustrating part of being a Colts fan, has been watching this team and, like, you see them pull out a couple wins, but you know at the same time in the back of your head, they can't keep doing this and be effective at the end of the year. Well, you're, you're behind Tennessee 24-3, to and you come back, but everything has to go right. Right. You know, Jonathan Taylor had to fumble on fourth and whatever it was. You can't have that. You, you can't make a mistake because you've made so many mistakes to get to that point. So they've got to get out of the gate quicker and – this is just blind faith, and I don't know why I base it on because they've given us no reason to trust them. Joe will probably be right, but if they're going to get things going, it's got to start again with Jacksonville at I, home. I actually feel better about it now because if, if we all three would have picked uh, the Colts to win, there's no way they would have. Right. So, Completely. so I'm on the right side. It's a win-win situation over there here. There you go. Perfect. All right. We, we've got things going for us, which is good. <laughs> Thank you for listening to this edition of the Colts Blue Zone podcast. You can follow us on Twitter at Colts Blue Zone for news and notes throughout the week, injury updates and the like. Individually, we are at mchapel51. Get Mike's work online at fox59.com and cbs4indy.com. Joe Hopkins is at Roto Street Joe. I am at Dave G underscore sports. We appreciate you all, and we will see you next week on the Colts Blue Zone podcast. <laughs>